This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <laughs> ويقول الإنسان أئذا ما مت لسوف أخرج حيا أولا يذكر الإنسان أنا خلقناه من قبل ولم يك شيئا فوربك لنحشرنهم والشياطين ثم لنحضرنهم حول جهنم جثيا ثم لننزعن من كل شيعة أيهم أشد على الرحمن أيهم أشد على الرحمن عتيا ثم لنحن أعلم بالذين هم أولى بها صليا وإن منكم إلا واردها كان على ربك حتما مقضيا ثم ننجي الذين اتقوا نذر الظالمين فيها جثيا وإذا تتلى عليهم آياتنا بينات قال الذين كفروا قال الذين كفروا للذين آمنوا أي الفريقين خير مقاما أي الفريقين خير مقاما وأحسن نديا وكم أهلكنا قبلهم من قرن هم أحسن أثاثا ورئيا الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين Ayah number 64 which we studied yesterday Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here in the surah now it's made a full transition over to the dialogue or the discussion that is more pointed towards the mushrikun of Mecca, the idolaters, the pagans, the idol worshippers in Mecca, and the challenge that, that the Prophet ﷺ was dealing with at that time. This ayah particularly is a consolation to the Prophet ﷺ from the, uh, on the tongue uh, or from the words of Jibreel ﷺ, that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was dealing with that adversity at the onset of the, when the public da'wah began and the, at the onset of the public persecution and the uh, very aggressive response from the people of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ felt very overwhelmed. And oftentimes when the divine revelation would occur or when Jibreel ﷺ would visit him with a message from Allah, that would basically be the, the high point of his day. That would be what he, was look, what he would look forward to. And this again shows us that very human emotional side of the Prophet ﷺ. So at that, at the Prophet ﷺ said to Jibreel ﷺ, why don't you visit us more often? We look forward to your visits. Why don't you visit us more often? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the tongue of Jibreel ﷺ, it's as if an apology is being issued to the Prophet ﷺ from Jibreel ﷺ. And he says, وَمَا نَتَنَزَّلُ إِلَّا بِأَمْرِ رَبِّكَ That it is not appropriate, we cannot just come down except by the command of your Lord. Meaning it's not up to us, O Muhammad ﷺ. If it was up to us, <clears throat> we would visit you as you would like. You are Rasulullah, you are Sayyidul Mursaleen, Imamul Awwalina wal Akhirin. You are a person of such high caliber and status, and so beloved to Allah. We would, it would be an honor and dis distinction for us to visit you. However, we cannot, because 
it is only decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I also explained how in Surah Taha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala similarly tells the Prophet not to rush the revelation of the Qur'an before Allah has decreed and decided that it should be revealed. And then the angels elaborate, they say that for Allah alone is all that which is in front of us, that which is behind us. وَمَا بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ And all that which is between there. Meaning He's the sole one in charge. Everything is in the command. Everything is under the command and under the authority of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And nothing is outside of the grasp of Allah. Nothing can supersede the authority of Allah. So even though we are angels and malaika, and we are blessed creatures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, creation of Allah, we at the same time cannot move outside of the confines of the command, the amr and the hukum of Allah. Now, I explained how this was also... So number one, this is honoring the Prophet ﷺ with having the angels literally apologize and excuse themselves to the Prophet ﷺ. Secondly, this is a, um, this is a reprimand and this is a refutation of the false beliefs of the people of Makkah, the Quraysh, the Mushrikun, who used to see the angels as maybe the daughters of Allah and how they used to worship. They used to actually would... When the Prophet ﷺ would reprimand them from worshiping idols, they sometimes would respond by saying that these idols are this... With their, their, they are our manifestations or our idea of what you call angels. And we worship them because they will intercede on our behalf near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they would say this to the Prophet ﷺ, and this is mentioned in other places in the Qur'an, like Surah Al-Safat. So here it's, uh, it's a refutation of that false belief, saying, no, no, the angels are the creation of Allah, and they are no, in no means in some type of uh, divine position, but rather they are also the creation of Allah, bound by His command and His permission. وَمَا كَانَ رَبُّكَ نَسِيَّةً And your Lord is not forgetful in the least bit. Meaning, don't worry, your Lord hasn't forgotten you, O Muhammad ﷺ. He knows exactly what's going on with you. And He sees all that which is going on with you. You just, like we say in common English, you just need to hang in there. And you need to be strong right now. And these situations will pass. But I never in the least bit doubt that your Allah, that your Rabb, He does not know what's going on with you, or that He has forsaken you or forgotten you. Rather, your Rabb knows exactly what's going on with you, and He is looking looking out for you. Now the next ayah, ayah number 65, further elaborates on this idea. It says, رَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا So who is Allah? It further elaborates. Because now it told the Messenger ﷺ that you don't need to worry, your Lord has not forgotten you. He doesn't forget anything in the least bit. So now it elaborates, رَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ He is the Rabb. Now why is Rabb connected to that meaning of forgetfulness? Because Rabb implies that Rabb is not only the one who creates, but the one who sustains, the one who provides, the one who nourishes, the one who protects and guides. Meaning he's the one who maintains and protects and feeds and sustains as-samawat, all that which is in the skies, wal-ard, and all that which is on the ground and the earth, wama baynahuma, and all that which is between the two of them. So I mean, he's maintaining everything single-handedly, you know, it's just giving that perspective that he hasn't forgotten, he has not forsaken, because he maintains everything. He never forgets anything. Look at everything around you, and not a single, like another place in the Quran tells us, that not a single leaf falls from a tree, except through the knowledge and the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah is the one maintaining everything. رَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا So now, it's understandable. It's understandable. The tone here is say, telling the Prophet ﷺ, we understand your predicament. We understand how you feel apprehensive. And how you feel very, very... You feel distraught at times. You feel very frustrated with the situation of the people and how they respond and react to you at times. And that is understandable. But what is the recourse? What is the proper course of action at those moments and in those times? فَعْبُدْهُ فَعْبُدْهُ So worship Him. Worship Him. And of course we know, we've talked about this numerous times, the word ibadah comes from the root word, comes from the same root as the word abd, slave. So it's not just worship, but it's enslave, it is commit, it is dedicate yourself to Him. But the primary means, this clarification at the same time needs to be made, that the, the, the true manifestation of servitude, of devotion, dedication is through worship. That if I simply say that, oh, I'm the slave of Allah and I'm dedicated and devoted to Allah, but if I don't pray, if I don't worship Allah, then it remains an empty claim. Those are just empty words. When I stand up and I worship Allah, when He asks me to, how He asks me to, then that is me backing up what I claim. Then that is living up to that claim of, yes, I am a slave of Allah. So, فَعْبُدْهُ So worship Him. 
and exemplify your servitude to him. Wastabir li ibadatihi. And not just don't not just worship him, but wastabir li ibadatihi. Istabara, this is the exaggerated form of the word sabar. This is the exaggerated form of the word sabar. So very firmly tie yourself down, very firmly commit yourself. Be steadfast in other words. Be very, very steadfast and consistent. لِعِبَادَتِهِ For His worship. Be very, very consistent for His worship. So, now, a couple of things that need to be understood here. First of all, the Prophet ﷺ is dealing with difficulty and adversity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him the recourse here is to worship Him. This is mentioned in other places in the Quran. وَلَقَدْ نَعْلَمُ أَنَّكَ يَضِيقُ صَدْرُكَ بِمَا يَقُولُونَ That most definitely we know, Muhammad ﷺ, most definitely we know, أَنَّكَ يَضِيقُ صَدْرُكَ بِمَا يَقُولُونَ That your chest becomes restricted and constrained because of what these people say. But what do you need to do? فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَكُمْ مِنَ السَّاجِدِينَ Praise and glorify your Rabb, your Lord. وَكُمْ مِنَ السَّاجِدِينَ Be from those people who regularly prostrate, do sujood, bow down before Allah. وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ And worship your Lord until reality comes to you, until death comes and the reality is open to everyone. So, this is mentioned in other places in the Qur'an as well. That when those moments of difficulty and adversity come, then salah, ibadah, worship, and in our case, which is salah, the primary form of it is salah, that is the proper recourse at that time and in those moments. This is mentioned in Surah Al-Kawthar as well. That when the Prophet ﷺ was dealing with adversity in the shape and in the form of people ridiculing him, mocking him, and exploiting his tragedy and his personal pain, the death of his child. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, نَعَطَيْنَاكَ الْكَوْثَرِ First he consoled him and gave him a gift. And then he says, فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ Pray to your Rabb, pray to your Lord. So the same instruction is being given here. فَعْبُدُهُ Worship him. وَاسْتَبِرْ لِعِبَادَتِهِ And don't just worship him in those moments of difficulty and adversity, but then find consistency and steadfastness upon his worship. Stick to the ibadah in the worship of Allah. And that is very, very key. That is extremely important to focus on and to remember and to keep a perspective of. That first of all, we need to turn salah from a ritual form of worship into a resource, into a resource, a tool, a source of peace and tranquility and, and um, relieving pain and suffering and adversity and difficulty. So that's the first thing. Salah needs to have a more practical uh, place in our lives. It's not just some very abstract, very metaphysical, existential form of worship. No, salah has a very practical application. That is when I deal with adversity and difficulty, I can turn around, I can turn towards a qibla, make wudu, turn towards a qibla, say Allahu Akbar, and dialogue and discourse and discuss my issues and my problems with my Rabb, with my Lord, with Allah. So salah needs to be turned into something practical. Second thing, and then we, never, we should never make the mistake that we only turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in those moments of difficulty, but rather we need to then be consistent. When we find blessing and benefit for us in that worship, then stay consistent with it. And there are hadith to this effect that talk about it, that when you are regular in making supplications, and when turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in moments and needs and difficulty, it is as if your voice has become familiar now. Now when you do deal with problems and difficulties and adversity, then at that time, you know, it's almost like somebody who calls you regularly, somebody who calls you all the time, doesn't just call you when they have a problem. So then at that time, you are that familiar person. And at that time, the, res- the level of responsiveness, you'll find it to be much, much greater with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Just because you've invested into a relationship with Allah. فَعْبُدْهُ وَاسْتَبِرْ لِعِبَادَتِهِ هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ سَمِيًّا So one more thing I wanted to mention here. Remember, the Prophet ﷺ was very anxious for the arrival of the divine revelation and the angels so that he could receive the message of Allah. He's being told here literally that وَاسْتَبِرْ لِعِبَادَتِهِ This lam harf of jar, this works <clears throat> similar to how we understand a preposition in English. And prepositions have the ability to alter the meaning of certain verbs. Like for, in, for instance, in English we say going to versus going from. Going to versus going from. Prepositions again alter the meaning. إِسْطِبَارْ 
means to be very, very patient, to stick to something. But when it's followed by the lam harf of jar, it is, <clears throat> many of the scholars of tafsir and even grammar have mentioned this, that the lam harf of jar changes its meaning to what we understand in the Arabic language to be intizar. To wait for something, to patiently wait for something. So as the Prophet ﷺ was waiting for the divine revelation, Allah is saying, don't sit there and wait in, in, in anticipation for the divine revelation. Rather, <clears throat> you have a very wonderful outlet to directly communicate with Allah, and that is salah, that is your prayer. So it's being told, and we, we know that there is, it's not necessary, it's not a hadith, there's not a lot of authentic, um, there's no authentication of this being a hadith, but it's mentioned as a quote of many of the great scholars like Al-Hasan al-Basri rahimahullah, and many, many other great <clears throat> Uh, wise scholars throughout our history that they would say, they would teach their students, As-salatu mi'rajul mu'min, that the salah is like the mi'raj of the believer, meaning the salah is the opportunity of the believer to communicate with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like the Prophet ﷺ was granted that ability on the night of al-mi'raj. And I wanted to take out just a few moments to talk about this as well, because we're nearing um, what is in the opinion of majority of the scholars of seerah and scholars of history, what is uh, designated as the date of the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj, we're nearing that occasion now. And oftentimes there's a great amount of discussion as to what, can we can, what we can learn from that, what we can take from that, and what reflections there are for us as we approach the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj. And the primary thing that I wanted to point out is simply this, that the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj happened at the most difficult juncture in the life of the Prophet ﷺ from a personal perspective. It was the moment of the Prophet's life where he experienced the greatest amount of personal tragedy. He, he suffered through the death of his wife, Khadija radiallahu anha, who he had been married for more than 25 years. He had been married to her for more than 25 years. I mean, think about that. Being married to someone, spending 25 years of your most personal, intimate moments with someone. That's what we call, and as cliche and cheesy as it sounds, it's what we call in our culture like someone's soulmate. The love of one's life. So spend 25 years with someone. The mother of your children. And when the message came, she was the first one to believe. She was the strongest of his supporters. On the most difficult days in the preaching of his message, she would be there to hold his hand and to give him comfort and strength. He would draw strength from her convictions and her strength and how strongly she believed in him. And he lost her. And imagine what a personal tragedy that was. Then a few months, within three to six months after that, based on the different narrations of Sirah, the Prophet ﷺ then suffered through the death of his uncle Abu Talib. And this wasn't just an uncle like an any other uncle. That's someone you see maybe a few times a year. No, this was the man who raised the Prophet ﷺ. He raised him. He was his parent. He raised him. He took care of him. He was his family. And the Prophet ﷺ lost him months after he lost his wife. And it was a moment of great personal tragedy for the Prophet ﷺ. And he was being exploited. His tragedy was being exploited at that time. That really, you people who follow him, who believe in him, look what happened to him. Everybody around him is dying and going away. This man is so miserable. You follow a man like this? And in that moment of great tragedy and personal adversity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called him, took him on the night journey to Jerusalem and then called him above the heavens on the night of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. And there Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him the beautiful gift of salah and prayer. As a means to communicate, and as a means to, this will, be, this will serve as an outlet for you whenever you experience personal tragedy. Whenever you go through any adversity, whenever you need any type of help. This will serve as an outlet for you. So that is what salah meant in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And that is the significance of the night of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. More than anything we need to realize about the night of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, that we were given a gift on that day, that is a very powerful means of communicating to Allah. And so therefore, all of us have our own difficulties, our own adversities, we all have our own personal tragedies, our own personal predicaments. And what we need to realize is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there for us, like He was there for the Prophet ﷺ on the night of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. And all we need to do 
to engage in that level of an intimate, personal, private communication with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all we need to do is say, Allahu Akbar, stand up and offer our prayers, and we are directly dialoguing with Allah. And I don't, again, want to get too sidetracked, but even we have a hadith Qudsi, which tells us that when we stand up in the prayer and we recite Surah Al-Fatiha, this is not a one-way dialogue, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to us when we read Surah Al-Fatiha within our prayers, and that is exactly the opportunity we have at our hands, and we need to avail of this opportunity. And the Prophet ﷺ is being reminded of the same thing, that rather in waiting in anticipation of the divine message to be sent down, what you need to wait for and be uh, and anticipate is the time for the prayer. When will I get the next opportunity to stand up, say Allahu Akbar in dialogue and discourse with my Rabb with Allah? فَعْبُدْهُ وَصَبِرْ لِعِبَادَتِهِ هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ سَمِيًّا Have you ever known, do you know, لَهُ سَمِيًّا Anyone who is equal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is anything in any way, shape or form like Allah, of course you don't, this is a rhetorical question. There is no one, there is nothing, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٌ There is absolutely nothing that compares to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and therefore why wouldn't you want to talk to someone like Allah? Why wouldn't you want to build a relationship with Allah? People pride themselves on having unique relationships with very unique people. People pride themselves on having unique relationships with unique people. Who is more unique than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Absolutely no one. And therefore pride yourself on your personal, intimate, individual relationship with Allah. So this is where that little discussion ends, and that address of the angels of Jibreel alayhi salam, it ends. From here now, directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in ayah number 66, this is where the refutation and the reprimand upon those people who denied belief in Allah and denied belief in the Messenger alayhi salam, and denied belief in the hereafter. It's very important. They denied belief in life after death, where these people are being reprimanded now. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيَقُولُ الْإِنسَانُ أَإِذَا مَا مِتُّ لَسَوْفَ أُخْرَجُ حَيًّا وَيَقُولُ الْإِنسَانُ And the human being, he says, the human being, he says, now something that's very interesting here that you need to understand about the tone of language. You can almost consider this the balagha of the ayah. First of all, the human being. This is not implicating all human beings. Because we also, believers, Muslims, also fall under the category of being human beings. But we don't say what these people are about to say. So when it does say, the human being says, it's almost like when you're trying to reprimand someone, but you don't even want to acknowledge their existence. You don't even want to acknowledge them individually and give them any sort of credit or any sort of uh, recognition. And then you refer to them, some people say, yeah, we say that some people say, some students have been doing this. Where you don't even want to recognize them because you don't want them in any way, shape or form to receive any type of recognition at all. And it's also a sign of displeasure where I'm not even going to address you or talk to you. Some people say, some students do this. So that's the tone here. Secondly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is as if He's quoting this, these very, very, uh, these bad people who say these horrible things. It's as if Allah is quoting them. And again, quoting them is to say, can you imagine the gall of these people? Can you imagine, can, 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 you, can you imagine the, the audacity of these people? وَيَقُولُ insanu. Look at the gall and the audacity of these people. That they say, "Aida ma mitu," that when I've died, I'm dead. Lasofa ukhraju hayan, that in the future I will be brought out of the ground alive. And this is because the Arab, the Mushrikun, they still had that tradition of burying the dead. So he's saying that after, and this is elaborated upon other places in the Quran. وَيَقُولُونَ إِذَا مِتْنَا وَكُنَّا تُرَابًا وَعِذَامًا إِنَّا لَمَبْعُثُونَ He's saying that after we've become our bones and we've become dust, we've completely decomposed into the ground. إِنَّا لَمَبْعُثُونَ إِنَّا لَمَبْعُثُونَ Will we actually really be resurrected? And they're mocking. They're saying this in a mocking tone. They're not asking a good question. One thing is to ask a question. Is that really how it happens? That's a sincere, honest question. That's not what they're doing. There's no intention here to gain or seek knowledge. Rather, they're asking this question to mock, to ridicule, to make a joke out of them. So they say, 
let me get this straight. What you're trying to say is after I'm dead, I've died, in the future, I will be brought back out of the ground alive, living? Come on. You can't be serious. So they're, they're, they're ridiculing, they're mocking, they're rejecting this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds in ayah number 67 with something that is actually, it's a rational, logical, and intellectual response to them. So this human being, this person who says this, again you have that same, uh, like alluding to that person without acknowledging them. So this human being, does he not remember? Does he not remember this human being? That most definitely we are the ones who created him. Min qablu, before. That we are the ones who created him before. The Quran says in another place, that we created him the first time. That doesn't this human being reflect, doesn't he remember, doesn't he recall, doesn't he think about the fact that who created him the first time? How did he come into existence to begin with? Allah says, we created him. And then Allah elaborates, وَلَمْ يَكُوا شَيْئًا وَلَمْ يَكُوا شَيْئًا And he was nothing. He was nothing. So meaning that when we created him the first time, and he was nothing, so we brought him into existence out of nothingness. And now here's the rational and logical part of the argument. Isn't it easier to make something the second time? When you do something the second time, doesn't it become a lot easier? You know the routine now. You know the drill. So it's a lot easier to do something the second time around. So Allah says, we created him the first time. So how, why is it difficult to recreate him the second time? That's actually easier. So this foolish human being would just go back and think for a second. This short-minded, this narrow-minded, short-visioned human being would just go back and would just reflect back on his first creation, his earlier creation, he would realize if we create him to begin with, why wouldn't we be able to recreate him? How foolish, how short-sighted, how narrow-minded is this human being? And again, uh, a level of eloquence that we see here, Allah says, وَلَمْ يَكُوا شَيْئًا He's trying to say that this human being was nothing. And I've elaborated on this before, that when you say, when you put the lam, Alright, which is a min huruf al which is min al jawazim. It is from specific types of uh, words or letters that are introduced upon the present tense verb, and it basically silences the end of the verb. The grammatical effect of that, the literal effect of that is that it becomes silenced at the end. So we see in other places, one of the manifestations of it is it becomes walam yakun. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ And we saw that in Surah Maryam as well in a couple of places. وَلَمْ أَكُنْ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ Alright? But then it's also permissible within language, within grammar, within sarf, to omit the noon, to drop the noon off the end, off the end and say وَلَمْ يَكُ وَلَمْ تَكُ وَلَمْ أَكُ To drop the noon off the end. And now, grammatically speaking, both are legit and both are permissible. But then why is one used in one place and one, another one used in another place? So it's used to express that meaning, to add to that meaning, to give some, uh, give a visual to that meaning. The noon has been omitted here because it's trying to say that he was nothing to begin with. He was nothing to begin with. He was nothing like this noon has become nothing. He didn't exist like the noon no longer exists. وَلَمْ يَكُوا شَيْئًا Now ayah number 68, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala further elaborates and now answers this, this gives, the conclu- gives the conclusion to this predicament, to this question, to this confusion. He says, فَوَرَبِّكَ فَوَرَبِّكَ This is uh, an oath. This is the wow of qasab. وَرَبِّكَ Therefore, وَرَبِّكَ By your Lord, by your Master. And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swearing by Himself as the Rabb. And obviously, whatever, whatever, is taken, whatever is the object of the oath, shows the importance and also lends strength to the tone of the oath. Allah is here taking an oath by him, of Himself. فَوَرَبِّكَ He swears by your Lord, by your Rabb. He swears by Himself. فَوَرَبِّكَ And also, many times the object of the oath ties into the overall message of the ayah as well. 
And so again, what's being disputed, what's being argued here, is that these people don't believe in the hereafter. And if they were to really truly accept Allah as their Rabb, they would have no trouble believing in life after death. Because once they've truly accepted Allah as their Rabb and as their Creator, then again like was stated in the previous ayah, they should find no difficulty, they should find no hesitation in believing in the fact that Allah can recreate them and resurrect them. So, فَوَرَبِّكَ By your Lord, by your Rabb, by your Master. لَنَحْشُرَنَّهُمْ Now, let me first elaborate as to what the word means. نَحْشُرُ الْحَشَرُ Hashar basically refers to gathering all the people from different places and even different times and situations, gathering them all into, together into one place at one time. To gather people from different places, different times, different situations, all, in, all into one place at one time for one purpose. And then if you look closer at that word, you have a lamb in the beginning and you have a noon <clears throat> with the shadda on the end of it. This is litaki. this is for emphasis. And it's a very heavy form of emphasis. You can almost understand it as double emphasis. لَنَحْشُرَنَّهُمْ Allah says, no doubt, most definitely, we will gather all of them together. We will gather all of them together. And not just them, shayateen. What shayateen? And also the, the, the devils, shayateen, the plural of shaitan, the mischief makers, the, the troublemakers. The mischievous Satan's devils. Now, what, what's meant by here by mentioning shayateen? What's meant here? It's two things. Obviously these people are not believing in the hereafter and rejecting and refusing belief. Not only that, but then they're mocking belief in the hereafter. So it's of course reprimanding them. But then it's also implicating those people, or those forces rather, that motivate these people. That keep pushing these people on, keep egging these people on to keep doing what they're doing. And those are two forces at work. Number one are the shayateen, like shayateen al-jinn, insi wal-jinn. So first is the jinn, alright, the shaytan, like we know it. The one that whispers. The one that, you know, uh, the one that leads the human being away from doing good. And motivates and leads the human being towards bad and wrong. So first is that one. First is that. So those shayateen, alright, like what we think of as shaytan al-rajim. Because he's the one that whispers, he's the one that keeps uh, reinforcing the wrong ideas within people. So that's the first one. Secondly, what's mentioned is shayateen al-ins. There are even shayateen, there are even troublemakers and mischievous people that are at the level of being shayateen, but they're human beings. And those are often the ones that do the same job of shayateen. They do the job of shaitan, where they encourage people to do wrong, they encourage people to do bad, they motivate people to do wrong, they delude people, they dissuade people from good, and persuade them to do wrong. So this is talking about those types of people. And this is mentioned in Surah Fussilat, I've referred to this before, that the people in hell will say, أَرِنَا الَّذَيْنِ أَضَلَّنَا مِنَ الْجِنِّ وَالْإِنسِ نَجْعَلْهُمَا تَحْتَ أَقْدَامِنَا لِيَكُونَا مِنَ الْأَسْفَلِينَ That the people in hell, when they reach hell, they will recall that there used to be the jinn, the shaytan, who, who, who used to mess with us, and give us bad ideas. And then there were also human beings, that were bad role models for us, that told us bad things to do that encouraged and facilitated bad things for us, that show us who they are. Oh Allah, show us those people. Why? So that because they're the ones who led us astray. So that we can then now press them under our feet. We can literally step on them. And we can crush them under our feet. So this is what it's talking about. That Allah says we will gather all of these people and the shayateen. And the evil forces that were at work, both from the jinn and the human being. Thumma. Now, one thing that we're going to see consistently throughout the next few ayat, we're going to see repetition of the word thumma. Thumma in the Arabic language means then afterwards. Then after that. Then afterwards. Alright, thumma littarakhi. Thumma is to show that a duration has passed. A certain amount of time has transpired. So then it says, so first of all, let's say we're going to gather them all together, and then just leave them there. And one of the most horrible torments of the day of judgment and of the hereafter will be when these people will be gathered together in the field, in the maidan of Al-Hashr. 
And then they'll be made to just literally stand there. And we know from the Qur'an, this is a day that is 50,000 years long. So Allah knows best how many thousands of years these people will be left out there to just stand. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ tell us, the sun will literally be a mile above their heads. And they'll sit there and they'll drown in their own sweat. They will gnaw off their own arms and they will rot away in, this, in these horrible conditions. Surah Al-Haqqah tells us that these people standing there will be so miserable that they will say, يَا لَيْتَهَا كَانَتِ الْقَاضِيَةِ We wish we could just die. We wish we could just cease to exist. But this is too... Too much to bear, to just stand there and stand there and stand there. And deal with these horrible conditions and then know what's coming afterwards. So they'll literally left to be left to just stand there for what will feel like an eternity. ثُمَّ And then after all that time Allah says, لَنُحْضِرَنَّهُمْ Now I, I want to go ahead and mention here, that the ayat that follow are very very strong and powerful in their tone. Very strong and powerful in their tone. And these serve as a wake-up call. It serves as a wake-up call. You know, the deeper someone is asleep, the more deep somebody's sleep is, the louder of an alarm they require. Being immersed, being drowned in shirk, can, be, can insulate a person so much from the truth, that they literally need that loud alarm clock with the bells on it. They need, to be, they need to be woken up. They need to be shook and awake. And that's what exactly this does. That's why the tone is so strong. So Allah says that after they've stood there for years, thousands and thousands of years and rotted away, ثُمَّ Then after that, لَنُحْضِرَنَّهُمْ Then Allah says, we will make them present. We will present them. So not that they will present themselves, we will present them. So they'll literally be shackled and chained. خُذُوهُ فَغُلُّوهُ ثُمَّ الْجَحِيمَ صَلُّوهُ Grab them and tie them up. ثُمَّ فِي سِلْسِلَةٍ ذَرْعُهَا سَبْعُونَ ذِرَاعًا فَسْلُكُوهُ Take iron chains that are 70 feet long and completely tie them up and wrap them up in those chains. So they'll be shackled and chained and they'll be dragged and made, to, made present. They'll be presented. Where will they be presented? حَوْلَ جَهَنَّمَ And again that word, لَنُحْضِرَنَّهُمْ That has the same dual emphasis. لَنُحْضِرَنَّهُمْ This will most definitely happen. And where will they be presented? حَوْلَ جَهَنَّمَ Around the fire of hell. And I talked about Jahannam earlier in these tafsir lectures, that it literally mentions that Jahannam will be like a beast, will be like a hungry animal. زَفِيرٌ وَشَهِيقٌ Zafirun wa shahiqun, like like a wild animal, a hungry beast, like it like it exhales and it inhales very loudly, how it pants and it breathes loudly. That's how Jahannam would literally pant and breathe like a big hungry wild animal. Lahum fiha zafirun wa shahiqun. And it describes this analogy carries further on in the Quran this metaphor. That when, like that hungry, big beast and animal, when you feed it, what does it want? It wants more and more and more. Jahannam will be fed. Not just the hasabu Jahannam. Not just the fuel of Jahannam, which will be people and stones. But then it will be asked, that halmim mazid? That it will be asked, halim talati? Hell will be asked, halim talati? Have you become full? And hell will respond by saying, Halmim Mazid, bring on more, bring it on. Bring it on. More and more. Is there more? Bring it on. So this is that, that, that scary scene. So these people will be presented around Jahannam. Hawla Jahannama. Jithiyan. But not only will they be lined up around Jahannam, outside of Jahannam, but they'll be lined up Jithiyan. Jathai. Jathayadthu refers to falling down on one's knees. Falling down on one's knees. And the, the, the specific condition is not how we sit in the prayer, in the tashahud position. That's also sitting on your knees. Not like that, but when you are upright, when you're like standing on your knees. When you're standing up on your knees. That's what it refers to. And so I want you to imagine the scene, and this is gonna sound, this is gonna look familiar. And hopefully you haven't seen anything like this in real life, because you haven't been in, been in that type of situation. Maybe some people have. 
But at least you maybe at least you have a visual of it. Maybe you saw it in a TV show or in a movie or something. But you know when somebody is made to stand up on their knees and their hands are tied behind their backs, what's that usually the position of? Somebody who is? Somebody who's a criminal. Somebody who's either, like, like he said, somebody who's a criminal, somebody who's convicted of a crime, somebody that is being tortured, somebody that is be, about to be executed. So it's, it's punishment form. Right? It's a position that that criminal is put in for punishment. So that's what it describes. That most definitely we will present them around the hellfire, jithiyan, up on their knees, tied up like that, chained up like that in that position. I want you to think about that. What a scary position to be in. Ayah number 69. Thumma. Then again we have the word thumma. Meaning what? That these people will literally be left there, tied up, chained up, standing on their knees, around, surrounding the fire of hell, they'll literally be left there for what will feel like an eternity. An eternity will pass. And then, so imagine just being there in that condition, that state. And now you're looking at what you're about to deal with. And it's literally breathing out at, at you. It's exhaling and inhaling. And it's so burning hot, Every time hell exhales, it's so burning hot that it's literally burning their faces off. And they're just left there. And then after all that time transpires, ثُمَّ لَنَنْزِعَنَّ مِن كُلِّ شِيعَةٍ أَيُّهُمْ أَشَدُّ عَلَى الرَّحْمَانِ عِتِيًّا And then it says, that most definitely, again you have the emphasis, لَنَنْزِعَنَّ And then we will bring out النَّزَعَ means to extract something from inside of something. So there'll be this entire group of people, and from inside of those groups of people, individuals will be extracted, will be pulled out separately, for very extra special punishment. From each and every single group. And Shi'atun, in the Qur'anic language, refers to a group that rallies together for a cause. So all these groups that rallied together for, that, for their cause, and their cause was what? The opposition of the truth. The denial in belief in Allah. The, the, the opposition of Prophet ﷺ. The denial of the belief in the hereafter. They rallied together as a group for these different causes. So then extractions will be made of certain individuals from these groups. From each and every single, min kulli shi'atin. From each and every single one of these groups. And who will be extracted? Ayyuhum. Whosoever amongst them, ashaddu ala rahmani itiyan. Whosoever was the most severe against Ar Rahman in his disobedience. Whosoever was the most severe in the disobedience of Ar Rahman. Itiyan, we've talked about it, means to cross all lines and all boundaries. Like when it talks about the old age of, uh, when Zakariya alayhi salam talks about his old age, he says, وَقَدْ بَلَغْتُ مِنَ الْكِبَرِ itiyan. I've crossed the old age of even, I've crossed the limits of being old. I'm so old that I'm past the limit of being old. So similarly, that's what it's making reference to here, that whosoever was the most severe in crossing all the lines of obedience, of dignity, of respect and decency in dealing with Allah. And again, it refers back to Allah here with the attribute of Ar-Rahman. Ar-Rahman, the abundantly merciful. Because like it's repeated throughout the surah, it's being emphasized again, that he, was a, he is a Rahman. He is a Rahman. He gave them every opportunity. He blessed them with such a wonderful life. He gave them every chance and every opportunity they, they, you could ever ask for. And specifically the ayat that are coming are gonna mention about how these people, part of what deluded them was how good their conditions were in this dunya. How good their conditions were in this dunya. خَيْرٌ مَقَامًا وَأَحْسَنُ نَدِيًّا هُمْ أَحْسَنُ أَثَاثًا وَرِئِيًّا Part of what deluded these people was how amazing their living conditions were. How blessed they were. So Allah says, Allah is a Rahman. He blessed them in the dunya. How did they repay the favor? By disbelieving in Him. By disbelieving in Him. He, he is a Rahman. He sent a messenger to them. He sent his kalam, his word down. He gave them every opportunity, but these people chose not to believe. 
So ashaddu ala rahmani itiyan. Whosoever was the harshest amongst them in crossing the limits, the lines, the boundaries of obedience to Allah, these people will be especially extracted. And then these people, it mentions what will be done with them. Ayah number 70, Allah says, Thumma, subhanallah. Now we have another delay. So now imagine the plight of those people that are being extracted. That they are pulled aside and then set separately aside. And then they're just made to sit. If you've ever been in that type of position, you know exactly the level of anxiety that's there. You know, alhamdulillah, whenever I travel out of the country, I always get separated. And I'll, I'll be, I'm talking about this very honestly, just to kind of give that real perspective. So when they ask you to sit down separately, and everybody else that got off the plane is about going on their way, getting their luggage, moving on. Even your family is told to go ahead and get your luggage and just go wait outside. And you're just sitting there waiting on your own for a couple of hours. The level of anxiety, even though there's nothing, you, you didn't do nothing. Ain't nothing wrong, ain't nothing to hide. Right? But at the same time, just that level of like, just anxiety of just having to just sit there, the level of frustration to just have to sit around and wait. And that's when you haven't done anything wrong. That's when you haven't done anything wrong. Even then there's that level of frustration and anxiety just because you've been separated from everyone else. Imagine these people on the Day of Judgment, they are criminals, they know that they've done wrong, and then they're being separated. And then they're being separated. And they're separated and then they're just told, sit tight, we'll be with you when we need to be. We'll come and get you when we need you. You just sit tight. Imagine the level of anxiety those people will feel. This is that emotional torment. And they'll literally be left there for what will feel like an eternity. Allah said, Thumma. Then after all that time, that emotional torment. Allah says, لَنَحْنُ أَعْلَمُ بِالَّذِينَ That we know best who are the people whom awla whom awla biha who are the most deserving of hellfire. Why, now these people are being told, why have you been separated? Because you are the most deserving of the hellfire. You are the first in line to go to hellfire. You are the most deserving of this fate and this punishment. So that's why you were separated. Not only that, but how does it describe that you are, you will be put into the hellfire? Siliyan. Siliyan which basically in classical Arabic refers to how you hold, like imagine barbecuing something, like roasting marshmallows. So you have an open flame, and you stick the marshmallow up there above the open flame, or you stick something inside of the fire and you roast it. So you put it into the fire and then you roast it. That's basically what it refers to. Hum awla biha siliyan. They'll literally be roasted inside of the fire of hell. They'll be tied up, restrained and chained like they are, and then they'll be inserted into the fire and literally be roasted there. Subhanallah. Hum awla biha Ayah number 71. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن مِّنْكُمْ إِلَّا وَارِدُهَا وَإِن مِّنْكُمْ إِلَّا وَارِدُهَا This sounds, first of all, this is, it sounds like such... It's such a horrible image and vision. It's such a, such a scary thing to visualize. And for some people, that can start to make them a little skeptical. Like that just sounds too crazy. That just sounds too wild. Allah says, first of all, speaking to the disbelievers, He says, وَإِن مِّنْكُمْ In here is for negation. This in is for negation, in nafia. And the in of negation is a very powerful, strong form of negation. It has emphasis built into it. All throughout this passage, we've seen emphasis. And here's more emphasis. There's not, وَإِن مِّنْكُمْ Each and every single one of you, there's not a single one of you, except that all of you, إِلَّا وَارِدُهَا There's not a single one from amongst you, except that, وَارِدُهَا He will have to go to the fire of hell. So first he's addressing the mushrikun saying, there's not a single one from amongst you, except that he will have to go to the fire of hell. He will have to go to the fire of hell. So that's specifically to the mushrikun. 
That you're not escaping this. You're not getting out of this one. You can't talk your way out of this one. But then some of the Mufassirun also mention, based on the ayah that follows after this, that this is addressing all of humanity. Both the good people and the bad people. That each and every single one of you will have to, if not even enter it, will have to approach it. Because see the word warid comes from wurud, warada. وَلَمَّا وَرَدَ مَا أَمَدِيَنَا Describing Musa salam, it says, وَلَمَّا وَرَدَ When he approached the water of the people of Madian. When he approached. So warad, wurud, refers to just approaching something. Doesn't necessarily mean entering something, it means approaching it. So what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here is that, that not, there's not a single one from amongst you except that he or she, each and every single one of you will at least have to approach the fire of hell. That even good people on their way to Jannah will have to go by, will have to pass by, will have to approach the fire of hell. And there's a specific hadith of the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in the Sahihain. It's mentioned in all the books of Sunan, very authentic narration, which talks about the fact that there will be a bridge over, there will be a bridge over the fire of hell, the bridge of as-sirat. Yudrabu bil jisri ala matni jahannam. The hadith describes that a bridge will be laid down that will pass over hell fire. And everyone will pass over that bridge. Another narration in a Tirmidhi mentions that Abu, Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu narrates from the Prophet ﷺ that he says that I heard from the Prophet ﷺ that the bridge of Sirat is thinner than a hair but sharper than a sword. Adaqu min al-shari wa ahaddu min al-saif. And so what will happen at this point is as these people pass over the bridge of Sirat, some of these people it describes, depending on their iman, depending on their belief, depending on their relationship with Allah. Some of these people will literally pass over it in the blink of an eye. Some people will pass over it like lightning. Some people will pass over it karihil mursala, like a strong blowing breeze will just sweep over it. And it also describes that some people they will step foot on it and it will literally split them in two and they'll fall into the fire of hell. So this is, this is what it's describing. Each and every single one of you will have to at least approach the fire of hell. Will have to go by. And the, and the, and the purpose of that, the ibra in that, the lesson in that, the reflection in that is, you sometimes don't know how good you have it until you see how bad some other people got it. You sometimes just don't know how good you got it until you see how bad some other people got it. So these people on their way to hell, will literally pass over the fire of hell. Excuse me. The, these people on the way to paradise and the, the way to Jannah, will see how bad the people in hell have it. And that will make it that much more sweet, whatever they receive in Jannah and paradise. They'll enjoy it that much more. They'll be that much more grateful. They'll relish it that much more. They'll relish it that much more. And there are specific narrations in a hadith which also talk about this fact. There's a narration in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad rahimahullah, which talks about how good people, people that are meant for Jannah paradise, will first be taken. So a person who had a lot of suffering in this dunya, who had a lot of suffering in this dunya, will be dipped into the, will be dipped into paradise. Will be dipped into paradise. And then he'll be asked, what was your dunya like? And be like, nothing. I don't even remember anything bad ever ever happening. Awesome. I just want to go back to there. And then somebody who lived a life of luxury in this world will be literally just dipped for a second into the fire of hell. And then he'll be asked, how was dunya? He goes, it was miserable, it was horrible. Just that experience of seeing hell for an instance, for a second, will literally change the person's entire perspective. He'll forget about any type of luxury that he ever saw, ever witnessed, ever experienced in this dunya. So as these people are on their way to Jannah, even the good people, so we, see, we obviously know all the bad people will have to go to hell. They can't ex ex escape it. But even the good people on the way to Jannah, when they go over hell, when they cross over hell, when they see hellfire, when they reach Jannah, they will appreciate it that much more. It will have completely changed their perspective. وَإِن مِنْكُمْ إِلَّا وَارِدُهَا كَانَ عَلَىٰ رَبِّكَ حَتْمًا مَقَضِيًّا And this decision of these disbelievers having to go to hell, these disbelievers having to go to hell, and no escape, 
no recourse, no reprieve. Kana ala rabbika. This is fixed upon your Lord. Kana ala rabbika. This is upon your Lord. Hatman. Hatam in the Arabic language basically means a decision that is fixed and final. A final decision. Maqadiyan is a decision that is enforced. This is an enforced final decision upon your Lord. That is a figure of speech. That's a way of saying that your Lord has fixed this final decision and He will enforce this decision and that's the way things are going to be. Allah has literally fixed it upon Himself, so to speak. He's decided, He's decreed and He's fixed. And He will enforce that this is going to happen. كَانَ عَلَىٰ رَبِّكَ حَتْمًا مَقَضِيًّا Allah then says, ثُمَّ ثُمَّ So even this entire situation, so first you can think of it as, think of it as the first scenario, where the people of hell are being pushed into the hellfire. Where they're being flung and thrown into the hellfire. That duration, that time, that whole moment will last for what will seem like an eternity. One by one by one, they'll literally be picked up and thrown face first, flung face first into the fire of hell. Or even the crossing of the bridge of Sirat will seem like an eternity for these people. And Allah says, after all of that, ثُمَّ نُنَجِّ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْا Then after all of that happens, that entire scene transpires. Then, نُنَجِّلْ لَذِينَ اتَّقَوْا We will most definitely save those people, the ones who اتَّقَوْا Who lived a life of God consciousness. Who lived an aware, cognizant life. They always were conscious of Allah. They were always thinking of Allah. They lived a life of awareness of Allah. And the word that's used here, نُنَجِّي this is from Tanjia. So this comes from the root word najat. In this specific form, this verb pattern, this verb form, this is from taf'il, bab taf'il. In this particular form, it exaggerates the meaning, it hyperbolizes the meaning. Meaning that we will completely save them. They will not in the least bit, the people who live the life of God consciousness, not in the least bit will they be affected by the torment, by the horrible conditions of the fire of hell. We will completely save them from this. We will rescue from all of that. We will save and salvage them from all of that. They have nothing to worry about. So this is what I always like to highlight. Whenever we read passages like this, that are so heavy, that are so scary, that are so explicit in the torture, in the torment of the day of judgment and hellfire, I always like to highlight, there's always that thing that is mentioned at the end of such a passage. That as scary as that is, the way to save yourself from that is actually very simple. Allah stated it, in literally three words, Nunaji alladina ittaqaw. Three words. That's it. The solution is right there. If that scared you, what we just read in the last three, four ayat, and you never want to end up in that position, you have a simple solution to implement. Three word solution. We will save those people whom, who ittaqaw. Ittaqaw. Just lived a life of God consciousness. At all times, in all situations of life, just think of Allah. Just think of Allah. What would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with me doing right now? What would please Allah right now? Versus what would potentially displease Allah right now? Just think about that. Just live with that awareness and that reality. And the rest will work itself out. Really, honestly, it'll work itself out. God consciousness is the root, is the key. Taqwa. Taqwa is a foundation. Build on the foundation of taqwa. That's what it mentions there about even a masjid being built on the foundation of taqwa. So, those people who live the life of God consciousness, Allah says, we will completely save them from all of this. But, the people who chose not to think of Allah while they were living their lives, and but we will leave, leave who? Adhalimina. The people who did wrong, the people who abused, who misappropriated. We gave them time, we gave them energy, we gave them ability, we gave them intellect, we gave them talents. But what did they do with all of that? They invested it into the disobedience of Allah, not the obedience of Allah. Al-Zalimeen. 
They wronged themselves. They oppressed themselves. They did this to themselves. They want to blame anyone. They need to blame themselves. Lumu anfusakum. They need to blame themselves. So wanadharu wa We will leave these bad people fiha in the fire of hell. Jithiyan. Again, that word jithiya. Remember how those people were chained up? Left standing on their knees, chained up and tied up? Allah says we will literally drop them in hell like that, in that same condition of being chained up and tied up like prisoners, like criminals, and they'll be dropped into hell like this, and they'll literally be left there. One other, we're just gonna leave them there. In the hell of fire, for all of eternity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us all. The next ayah, ayah number 73. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, وَإِذَا تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُنَا بَيِّنَاتٍ How does something like this happen to someone? How do things get so bad that this happens? Allah says in ayah number 73, وَإِذَا تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُنَا بَيِّنَاتٍ When our ayat, so literally speaking, the signs of Allah, or in our case, even if it does refer to the terminology, the ayat, the Qur'an, so whether it's referring to the verses of the Qur'an or it's talking about the signs of Allah all around us. وَإِذَا تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُنَا بَيِّنَاتٍ That whenever our signs, our ayat, the Qur'an is recited upon them, بَيِّنَاتٍ Very, very clearly. So when our ayat are recited upon them, very clearly. Alright, so it's not like it's very complicated, it's not like it's very convoluted. No, it's very clearly laid out for them. When our ayat are laid out for them very, very clearly. What is their response? Now I want to bring your attention to something here. Go back to ayah number 58. Go back to ayah number 58. There when talking about the prophets and the messengers and their followers, وَمِمَّنْ هَدَيْنَا وَجْتَبَيْنَا What did it say about them? إِذَا تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُ الرَّحْمَانِ when Allah says the ayat of Ar-Rahman are recited upon them, what do they do? They fall into sujood before Allah and they cry and they weep before Allah. They are overwhelmed by the feeling of greatness and gratitude, uh, greatness and gratitude towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But look at these people's reaction. What do they do? قَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا What is their reaction? Those who have disbelieved, those who are ungrateful, they say to those who have believed, أَيُّ الْفَرِيقَيْنِ أَيُّ الْفَرِيقَيْنِ Which of the, these two groups, and the two groups they mean is us, disbelievers versus y'all, believers. Us, disbelievers versus y'all, the believers. That's what they mean here. So أَيُّ الْفَرِيقَيْنِ Which of the two groups, خَيْرٌ مَقَامًا is better in their standing and their position and their honor and their dignity? Which of the two groups is better? Better off? Wa ahsanu nadiyan. And which of the two groups is in more excellent company? And nadiyan comes from the same root as the word nadwa. Nadwa basically doesn't just refer to company, but it means like a company of elite people, a company of powerful people. Nadwa, Darun Nadwa would refer oftentimes to like the city hall, the city council, the places where all the decisions would be made. So which of us, which of the two groups is better in their standing, in their position, in their status in society? And which of the two groups is sitting in a more powerful company of people? So y'all the believers are lowly people, low class people, slaves and poor people, you're oppressed, you're the minority, you have no influence, no power, no control. We here are the majority, we're rich, we're influential, we're powerful. And what you're trying to say is, that you're gonna be in a better situation than we are? You're reciting this ayat to us saying that we need to listen to y'all, we need to listen to you guys? We need to believe what y'all are saying? No, no, you got this the other way around. If you haven't noticed, we're the ones in the better position here. We're the ones living it up. And if this is all blessings of God and blessings of Allah, well who's more blessed? We look like we're on the better end of the deal. So if your God is blessing us more here, why wouldn't He bless us more over there? 
You're God, you're Allah, who has blessed us more over here. Why wouldn't He bless us more over there? He's forsaken you here. What's to say He won't forsake you there? So they go on the aggressive. They go on the opposition. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here says, وَكَمْ أَهْلَكْنَا قَبْلَهُمْ مِنْ قَرْنٍ وَكَمْ أَهْلَكْنَا قَبْلَهُمْ مِنْ قَرْنٍ And Allah says, and how many, how many have we destroyed? How many have we destroyed? مِنْ قَبْلَهُمْ Before them, مِنْ قَرْنٍ From entire generations of people. How many have we destroyed before them from entire generations of people? هُمْ أَحْسَنُ أَثَاثًا وَرِئًا and not only that, but those generations and generations of people that were destroyed before them, whom ahsanu, they were even more better off than these people are. Athathan. Athath refers to a person's like material assets, a person's personal belongings. The house a person lives in, the car that they drive, the furniture that they have, the personal possessions and uh, little amenities and things like that that a person has. That we, how many people did we destroy before them, entire generations of people, who were a lot better off than they are? وَرِئْيًا And a lot, lot more glitz and glamour than they do. رِئْيًا From رُؤْيَا Had a lot more glitz and glamour than they do. What we call in our culture like bling bling. There were people who were living it up a lot bigger than they did. There were people that were a lot larger than life. They larger than life. There were some people who had a lot more glam and fame and glamour than these people do. But what ended up happening with those people? We destroyed them, we walked them off the face of this earth. So much so that no sign of them even remains today. And other surahs, other places in the Qur'an make mention of the fact. The people of Ad, the people of Thamud, the people of Madian, Fir'aun and his people. What happened to them? Wiped clean off the face of this earth. So these people are proud, these people are arrogant, these people are getting in your face because these people think they're living it up over here. And so somehow that entitles them to be living it up in the hereafter as well, if there is a hereafter to begin with. Because these people are mocking the Muslims, they're not really trying to make an argument, they're just mocking the Muslims. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reprimanding them. Allah is dismissing them. Allah is what we call in our common language, Allah is dissing them. Then what makes these people feel entitled to talk in this way? There were a lot bigger people than they were. There were a lot more fancier, glamorous people than these people. And what happened to them? We wiped them clean off the face of this earth. So these people better check themselves. These people better take a long hard look in the mirror and see if this is the route that they want to go down. We'll go ahead and stop here inshallah and we'll continue with the ayat tomorrow. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nasaghfiruka wa natum.